Good evening, everybody. Let me introduce you to our friend, Nick the Lounge Singer. Oh, it's not playing. Oh, no. Oh, it curses. Foiled again. That's a sign. It's a sign. Oh, what happened, Corey? What happened to my life? There we go. I've been cheated. I want my money back. Thank you. Uh, Thank you very much. Um, let me talk to Don't eat yellow snow, Nick Winters. All right, honey? All right. All right, that's not going to work out. I meant to play the uh, the the time that the Bill Murray sang the Star Wars theme. All right. Sorry, everyone. Welcome to the Wages of Cinema. I am Jack, and with me is... Wifely Duty Corey. Star Wars, nothing but Star Wars, nothing but Star Wars, Joe Iron <laughs> Are you aptly disturbed right now? It's... Uh, I wanted to introduce this in a big way because uh, we have a very big discussion that we have planned for you. Uh, Happy holidays, everybody. Uh, We're we're recording this uh, Christmas night, and uh, and happy holidays. We're glad you're listening to us, and thank you. This is our gift to you. Um, The people. The people. The people who cry out for sweet youngling meat. The sweet, tasty little young, younglings. <laughs> I just picture younglings, and I just picture, like, those little, like, quail <laughs> or something. I picture the younglings like the little lumps of sweet and sour chicken that you get that are, like, breaded. Ah, yes, yes. Yeah, they're f- they might not have MSG, but they're full of the force. <laughs> <laughs> they're full of midichlorians. <laughs> um, no, uh, so, you know, as you may remember, last week uh, we reviewed uh, Rise of Skywalker. Um, we had a lot of thoughts, um, and a lot of them weren't that positive. Yeah. Uh, but... It started to get us thinking, especially you, Corey, I know, that there are a lot of Star Wars movies. How do you rank them? And we decided to try to solve this problem with a very ambitious effort in the past week. We watched all the Star Wars movies. Yes. Well, I technically, I didn't re-watch... Uh, all of Force Awakens or Last Jedi. Well, because you had seen them multiple times, but for me, I had only seen Force Awakens and Last Jedi the one time in the movie theater. So what I did was last Friday, right before Rise of the Skywalker, I watched Force Awakens and Last Jedi to get ready for Rise of the Skywalker. And then we went to see Rise of the Skywalker. Since then... We watched all the Star Wars movies, and we did not watch them in order of release. We watched them in chronological order of the story once we <clears throat> post Rise of the Skywalker. So we watched the three prequels, then we watched Solo, then we watched Rogue One, 
then we watched the original trilogy yes so after so for you you did you kind of went new movies back in time to the prequels than the original trilogy and that's of course where we stop because yes we now run out of star wars movies that aren't you know like the live action ewoks movies <laughs> which i'm sure you would watch if you could yes i would yeah i've never seen those either i love making ewoks yeah, I mean, I know those are kind of lesser Star Wars movies. Like, they did, I think, get a minor theatrical release, but don't really count. Um, there is also one movie that is kind of on my list, uh, which I know you refuse to watch, and rightfully so. It is absolutely the worst one. Uh, I could just get that out of the way. It's the animated Clone Wars movie, which some of you might not even know exists because it kind of came and went from theaters a little over 10 years ago and was pretty much, it was basically like a backdoor pilot for uh, an animated series, which was actually pretty successful. Um, and also we won't be talking about the uh, notorious uh, holiday special. Yes. We've seen the star Wars holiday special, but we did not rank it because as I said, the star Wars holiday special exists outside of rankings outside of concepts such as good or bad it, it exists outside of the realm of uh good and evil outside the realm of decency <laughs> one might say um yeah and i don't know if that really counts especially because you know again it's a coked out you know tv variety musical hour <laughs> with art carney and b arthur Although um, there is a reference to the Mandalor to Life Day in the Mandalorian, so yes. the Star Wars holiday special lives. That made me so happy. <laughs> Thank you, John Favreau, for making the holiday special canon. Fuck you, Lucas, for trying to destroy every copy. <laughs> um, but yeah, no. So we thought this might be fun. Um, I mean, we've talked. You know, I've or at least I've talked about Star Wars almost since this podcast began. Um, you know, former co-host Andrew was you know, very passionate about Star Wars, and we've, you know, not we've talked about the movies in various forms over the years. We even talked about the making of books, which we read. They're very extensive making of books for the original trilogy, and we talked about the making of of uh, New Hope and Empire Strikes Back. Um, but yeah, so tonight though, we're going to do our rankings. Now, I'm I'm curious. Do we think that we should do this? kind of go all over the, the, the place and discussing the films and then end with our final ranking? Or should we start with the ranking and kind of work our way from that? I think we need the ranking to structure our discussion. Okay. Then should we start from the bottom and go to the top? Yeah. Now, before we get into it, we should say that our opinions of the Star Wars films aren't drastically different from each other. We both agree that there are six Star Wars movies that range from excellent to good, and five Star Wars movies that range from bad to awful. Yeah, and well, I would say I would almost say for myself, it's all. It, there's also varying levels of mediocre, and I really think that there are. They're basically they're more. They're really about two or three really bad movies. So I think I'm a little bit more charitable yeah. to the series than you are. So that's um, actually a difference between us where for me, 
I'm not lukewarm on any Star Wars movie. Like, every Star Wars movie either works for me or really doesn't work for me. I When I made my ranking, I sorted them into four tiers where there are three Star Wars movies that I think are excellent. Mm-hmm. Three Star Wars movies that I think are very good. There are two Star Wars movies that I think are bad. And there are three Star Wars movies that I think are awful. Okay. Well, um, all right. So starting from the... But again, now we start from the bottom. And I'd be curious what um, what we work with here. Now, again, like I said, my number 12 is Clone Wars, but we're not counting that. So we're really working from a list of 11 as the saying goes, this goes to 11. <laughs> I'm not sure if you thought of that joke, but I just did. So, yeah, we both have we both have the same six movies in, like, the good camp and the same the- five movies in the not good camp, but our rankings are somewhat different. Yeah, um, and I might actually make some people mad when we eventually get to the top of the list. Uh, so strap yourselves in. I'm I'm ready for all the hate mail, which might be one if I'm lucky. <laughs> don't worry, I'll take the heat. <laughs> all right, but my, my number now I don't know how we should do this. Should I start with my my number eleven and then you say yours, or do we just kind we'll, of we'll alternate off? But what will happen is, spoiler alert: we both have the same number eleven. So yeah, let's start off with that, which kind of helps. Our number eleven is Solo, a Star Wars story. We hate this movie. <sighs> this you you can actually go back um, if you'd like uh, some several episodes uh, to last year. This was kind of a special episode for us because we had a unique viewing experience for this movie. We saw this at a drive-in movie theater uh, while we were on vacation. Um, I wasn't quite sure when I was going to see it, but it happened to occur that I was, you know, we were on vacation in uh, Cape Cod and there was a drive-in movie theater. And so they were doing a double feature uh, and they had Deadpool 2 and Solo. And at the time I was a little, I wasn't quite as harsh on it as I am now. I was like, eh, it's okay. You know, there are parts that are watchable um, you know, it, it gets, you know, it get it goes by and, you know, there are some moments, uh, you know, you have people like Amelia Clark and Donald Glover in the cast and they do what they can. Uh, but now seeing it again with fresh eyes and, you know, not watching it, you know, and being kind of swept up in some of the spectacle. No, it's a boring trash heap of a movie. Yeah, so I feel like when we reviewed it, I was harsher on the movie than you were, but I still feel like I wasn't harsh enough. <laughs> like, for me, the reason why, oh, you, um, the reason why this is the absolute bottom is in addition to all the many, many, many ways it fails, it's also completely safe and unnecessary. Yeah. Yeah, it, it doesn't really challenge the audience's expectations or ideas about what Han Solo in his early years might have been or what his origin story is. If anything, it's it's at best pandering, and at worst, it's it's really, frankly, insulting. I mean, if you 
if you were if you watch this as just schlock i could almost see some parts being kind of funny but not enough of it to justify it like the, for example the the way that han solo gets his last name oh god so horrible it is you you can't believe that you're watching this scene unfold it feels like the why did this scene suddenly turn into that scene in Godfather 2 when uh, Vito Corleone gets his last name because he comes from the village of Corleone? <laughs> and in fact, that's actually more believable than what happens with with Han. And, um, and then from there, it's just, you know, I don't need necessarily for it to be like the deepest, you know, look at the character, but... A, you're already starting at, in a losing position because we don't really need to know the backstory of this guy. It, he, we know in a, the original trilogy that he's a smuggler. He at first doesn't give a crap about what's going on with the rebellion. Then, uh, then suddenly he realizes, oh hey, I can actually help out my friends. You know, and he gets the arc there. And he doesn't have an arc in this story. No, he really doesn't. And I think one of my many problems with this movie is it doesn't tell me anything remotely interesting about Han. He doesn't have an arc. He doesn't go on a journey. He's boring as hell. And that would be fine because while I like Han Solo, I don't think he's the deepest character in the Star Wars universe. If this movie was a lark and was fun and like light on its feet and f you know i feel like there was a missed opportunity to make this kind of like a straight comedy but it's incredibly boring mm -hmm. in addition to telling us absolutely nothing of interest about the star wars universe yeah and we'll, we'll, we'll come back to the idea of certain star wars movies that get kind of crushed by not having interesting things to say about the world that these characters are in or what the characters are doing. You know, a lot, you know, when we get to the really good and great Star Wars movies, those give you really compelling characters. And in this movie, you get suggestions of it. And also, when we talk about Rogue One, we'll return to that idea. But, um, it's like everything you taught, we talked about this a little bit when we were watching the movie. Um, what Amelia Clark's character, Kira, what she represents in the movie, she has a much more interesting story that is happening off screen that happened before this main story begins. Yeah, I would really enjoy competent filmmakers making a movie about Kira. I think there's some potential there. And it's a, and the movie also posits that. Kira is the one character that means the most to Han, but by the time the movie really tries to develop their relationship, it's pretty shallow. It, it doesn't really... I don't really get why they were ever really liking each other to begin with, and it, it tries to sequel bait, I think. Yeah. Like, it tries to lead you along to think, oh, I need to know what happens with Kira the next time that we get this. In particular, with a completely 
pandering, horrible, horrible cameo, which you kind of forgot about. And you saw the movie a year and a half ago. Yeah, now, I should mention, I feel like on our ranking, we should feel free to talk freely about oh, plot development of the movie. So this is going to be... Yeah, this is... All the movies, uh, just know that we're going to have spoilers. This is a general spoiler <laughs> alert. We... Any major plot developments from all Star Wars movies are fair game. So, Darth Maul shows up in Solo. WTF. <laughs> And it's it's incredible because there are probably some people who are seeing Solo, like or people went to go see Solo, who either maybe they didn't see the Phantom Menace. You know, what if this is? What if they saw the original trilogy and skipped the prequels yeah. and coming to this? He just seems like a weird horned guy with like face paint but you're seeing him in a hologram and if you have seen the phantom menace you wonder wait what wait you, you so you survived even though we saw your cut in half torso fl- fleeing down a a shoot at the end of the phantom menace do you want to talk about the cinematography in this movie before we move on oh god yeah, well, this was something that, again, our review we talked about, too, but I, I can't stress enough that rarely have I seen a mo- any movie in this decade um, that so misunderstood how to convey its world through, you know, the basic language of cinematography. And by that, I mean how you're looking at a movie and the way this movie looks it's like you're seeing it through a filter of a dirty sock the movie is incredibly dark so dark that you literally can't see people's faces yeah there there are times where even when you are seeing characters outside in daylight it still feels kind of muddy and I, I don't understand the thought process behind it. I don't, you know, Bradford Young has worked with p- talented filmmakers. He's worked with Denny Villeneuve. He worked with Ava DuVernay and, uh, and Most Violent Year and movies like that. Why he thought this movie needed to look as grim as, like, come and see? Yeah, so most of the movie is incredibly dark and incredibly brown, with the exception of one scene in the beginning, which is super blue, like underworld movies eat your heart out. <laughs> Although that did have a good puppet. But I couldn't see how good the puppet was because it was so dark. Yeah, it, it's it's ridiculous how dark this movie looks. And I don't understand to what end because theoretically we're supposed to be watching this story that is a fairly lighthearted romp that is meant for a family audience. I mean, that's ultimately, I mean, even though there are dark moments and there might be the suggestion that Lando fucks his robot. Yeah. Um, or does something with his robot. Um, and because I'm a perv. Which is also like, like what? Because I'm a perv, I looked at the robot quite closely <laughs> after the was introduced. There seem to be no orifices on the robot at all. Oh, Corey, you don't know what 
Lando's hiding like in certain areas that maybe are just not available to our vision. So, <laughs> so again, it's, but yeah, I go, but to finish it off, like, yeah, it's just, I, I hated looking at this movie. It, it makes it, that's what makes it feel dull. It's not just the story and the characters, although that certainly doesn't help. It's also just this feeling that you get watching it of, Oh, now we're on to this. Now we're on to this. It looks miserable. Yeah. I don't want to... You watch some of the original movies, and as tense as stuff gets, you kind of, at times, are like, I want. I wish I could visit that world. I don't want to visit any of the worlds in Solo. Yeah, and it doesn't... It's not dramatically satisfying at all. It has no depth. It has no stakes. It's not <clears throat> funny. It's not charming. It's ugly to look and, at. And it's full... And it's got... And it's wasted potential, too. Yeah. Uh, and- you know, it wasted actors. Again, you put Amelia Clark or Donald Glover in the right thing, or even, you know, Woody Harrelson or Paul Bettany, they can deliver, but they got nothing to work with. And for me, and this is the last thing I'll say before we move on to your number 10 film, mm-hmm. which is different than my number 10, but the reason why, for me, this is the absolute worst and not the other movies I put kind of on the trash heap is the other very failed Star Wars movies I'm going to talk about in my number 10 and number 9, at least they were really trying for something. Yeah. They were shooting for the moon. And they failed, but at least there was an attempt to create oh. a bold, innovative new Star Wars story. Well, yeah, but that's the other part of it is the behind-the-scenes turmoil. If anybody's heard the behind-the-scenes stories of uh, t- the direct- the original directors being fired and Ron Howard being brought in to you know steer the ship into mediocrity. Um, <laughs> I, I actually I feel bad saying that. I like Ron Howard. Yeah, but, if only this movie was mediocre. Yeah, but it's but it's also a a, a key moment in Disney's cynical cash grab mentality with these new movies because again, there's no it doesn't justify itself to exist, you know, as a story as as a story of this character. Um, to be interesting, and so you then focus on the fact that Disney just created this to try to make money, and they've failed. <laughs> All right, now move on. Moving on, though, I wonder if ten and ten and number nine are kind of similar for us. Yeah. So the thing is, before we get into it, your <clears throat> number ten is my number nine, and your number nine is my number ten. Okay, so I think we could kind of talk about both these movies together, though. Exactly. So why don't you give us your number ten? Well, my number ten is uh, Attack of the Clones, and then my number nine is uh, The Phantom Menace. These are the episodes uh, one and two. Okay, I would rank Phantom Menace at ten and Attack of the Clones at nine. So let's start with... I mean, ultimately, we are kind of ranking different you know pieces of trash uh but it's you know we're just very i guess we could try to talk about how we feel a little bit differently about the two because i i i do feel somewhat strongly about why i have these two in these positions okay so why don't you start with your ranking of attack of the clones then i'll do my ranking of the phantom menace okay so we'll do your number 10 and then my number 10 and then we can kind of breeze through the number nines because since my nine is Attack of the Clones That's and your true. nine is Phantom Menace. That's a good point. 
we'll bog down on 10 for a while, and then we can just, like, breeze past 9. Okay. Well, the thing with Attack of the Clones is, again, similar in one similar respect to Solo, the term wasted potential is there. So much. Um, the idea that we are now going to see um, the... Anakin Skywalker, who is now, you know, a Jedi in training under Obi-Wan Kenobi, and he, you know, spends a lot of the movie with uh, this character Padme, uh, you know, Nally Portman, and that we're going to see the grand, you know, the romance that, you know, dare not speak its name between, you know, a Jedi who's not supposed to, you know, love others, like, in that way, and, you know, she's a senator, and... Oh my God! And oh, good Lord, George Lucas like fails so badly. Like he just can't write romance. He can't direct romance. He can't. He he a failure with casting Hayden Christensen for this movie. I mean, we'll get we'll we'll talk about Revenge of the Sith later. But in this particular instance, he. I said in my letterbox review, he has the charisma of Stephen Miller. (laughs) (laughs) He's like so leering at times and like has almost a couple of points like a rapey face. The anti-talent and anti-chemistry just radiating off the screen. And I'm not saying that that was the only thing that was needed to make this movie work, but it is a crushing blow to this movie. And the rest of the film, you know, you're seeing the the lead up into uh, the Clone Wars and, you know, how all these clones were created and all this kind of mystery and intrigue uh, leading up to these revelations and uh, Christopher Lee is part of that, too. Um, I was tempted to make this my number nine for a little while, but then I, I did. But when I thought about it more, I just think that the it is it's still kind of dull and and not directed as well as it should be because like there are intriguing ideas as far as the you know as far as what went into the creation of all these clones and how the jedi were some like there was a rogue jedi who kind of greenlit this uh, whole shebang like years before and maybe that was secretly Palpatine but they don't really uh, mention that much more in depth it, it it's just that I I want to care more about that and I just whenever I watch I feel my eyes glaze over until until some of the action near the end kind of perks up a little bit for me but it, it's just it, it's a whole lot of weak sauce yeah, and I would agree with you that so much of the movie hinges on this romance that's just, it's awful. It's absolutely awful. It, it, because there's, you try to draw a line to how, you know, by near the end of the movie, you know, Natalie Portman as Padme, she professes her love to to Anakin, and you wonder, where is this coming from? He had, like, when has he... De- like shown that he is a you know someone that's worth like you know even giving the time of day to <laughs> you know and it's like 
you know, there's this, there's actually this key scene after, um, you know, he goes a big, a little chunk of the movie has to, he goes back to Tatooine because he feels, you know, there's problem, something is with my mother and his mother dies in his arms and he freaks out and kills all, you know, these creatures and his reaction after that to her. Yeah. Might be some of the worst acting I've ever seen in a major motion picture. Well, like by by an adult. I'm not. Yeah. I'm not counting children. One of the things that I think unites both Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones is pretty much across the board awful acting. Which I want to make clear. I blame Lucas for not the individual actors themselves. Because my attitude is. If one actor gives a bad performance in an otherwise strong film, that's probably the fault of the actor. But a movie full of terrible performances from otherwise competent actors, that's a director's problem. What I would say in defense of the actors in both these movies is there are you could tell there are some actors who are trying, you know, they are doing what they can because they are really trained professionals and they you know, can, you know, they, 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 they don't even, they might not even need much direction. Lucas was never known as someone who was particularly interested in directing actors that much. Or if he did, it was always, you know, faster, more intense, faster, more intense. <laughs> and I, I sometimes would point out to you in the original trilogy when I could tell that was probably <laughs> happening when they were taking that direction. But so there are people like, for me, Oon McGregor, um, Christopher Lee, to an extent, Samuel Jackson. Um, I don't know if you'd really count Frank Oz, maybe in the voice acting department. Um, you know, they, they do okay. They do fine. Like they, they, they get by as well as you might could try to expect. And maybe to a lesser extent, Liam Neeson, in the first movie, even though he's frankly, he's, he's kind of like a one note character. Yeah. So he can, again, there's only so much a guy can do. Where it gets into trouble are oh, and I also mentioned Ian McDermott. You know that's a given. Um, the uh, but when if anybody is like under the age of like twenty two, yeah, they are they are so screwed. Or or anybody who just like you know is a you know supporting player is also really terrible and like you know, it's just you could tell he's just not. He needs people who a have really charming personality, or can really bring it in a different way. And you know, people like Hayden Christensen, even Natalie Portman is lost at sea. Yeah, and we know Natalie Portman is a great actress. Yeah, Natalie. Great. Yeah, she can be really great in roles. I mean, can you imagine if she brought like the level of talent she had in Jackie to this? So, for my number 10, I want to talk about why I ranked Phantom Menace lower than Attack of the Clones. Please. So, here's my beef with Phantom Menace. And I think Attack of the Clones and Phantom Menace are both very bad films. But here's why I ranked Phantom Menace lower. First off, I think virtually every single person gives a high school play level terrible performance. It's like mind-boggling to me how bad the acting is. Which again, I think all I think the blame goes primarily to Lucas rather than the individual performers. Um, yeah, there's almost like at times like 
I almost just, I suddenly flashed to like someone like Danny in uh, the room. Yeah. <laughs> it's that kind of acting. So, you know, like at times, Hayden, like that actor is better than Hayden Christensen at, at conveying emotion or just almost anyone. And yeah, no, in The Phantom Menace, it, you know what a big problem that movie is? It's like, who is the, is there a main character in that story? I mean, I assumed it was Obi-Wan and Qui-Con Jinn, and I guess Anakin, sort of. But my thing is, so the acting is awful. What I'm about to say is true of all the prequels, but in my opinion, most true about Phantom Menace. CGI is terrible, man. CGI is so bad in it, Phantom Menace. It largely doesn't hold up. I think if you're just looking at things like landscapes cities ships that stuff is fine but when you get to jar jar binks uh, that that's where you start to really get in trouble that's where they they really thought they had it and in the short term they did but now you know we're watching this 20 years later and even more than even if even when i watched this four years ago and I rewatched uh, all the movies uh, before The Force Awakens came out. And yeah, like putting aside the, the kind of obnoxious, you know, character of Jar Jar, you know, who is, you know, it's actually funny because just to, as an aside, sometimes Lucas just has like obnoxious characters in some of his stories. Like you haven't seen the uh, Temple of Doom. No. I feel like Jar Jar is the Kate Capshaw of, uh, of Willie Scott. Like, if you ever see that movie, the female love interest in that movie, oh, dear God, she's so annoying. Oh, oh I, I hear her voice in my head, and it's like needles being drilled really slowly. And I don't know if Jar Jar's necessarily that bad, like, but he is, like, just... Jar Jar is the, the other reason why I dislike Phantom Menace slightly more than I dislike Attack of the Clones. The other thing is, I feel like Phantom Menace is pretty much totally disconnected from the other two movies in the trilogy. You could watch Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith and get pretty much a complete story. So, my thing with Attack of the Clones is... I at least understand what it was going for conceptually. It's pretty much a complete failure in execution, but I'm at least on board conceptually. Mm. With The Phantom Menace, I don't even know what they were going for conceptually. And I, I think that what they were trying, what he was trying to do was set up, this is what the world used to be like at this time. Things, you know, this whole... Uh, taxation trade dispute. Oh, I'm, I'm falling asleep talking about it. Um, like that was the worst thing that was, was happening at the moment. So in a weird way, even though it's like a big deal for some of these characters, I think his idea was it's still somewhat low stakes in the grand scheme of things, like compared to what you'll eventually see in something like return of the Jedi. But but then the other problem is you still have to make that compelling enough. And, you know, there's, again, a lot of wooden acting and 
it's just you wonder like okay well where's this going the only sliver of where it looks like this is setting up things that will pay off later is everything with darth sidious Mm-hmm. I get that. Like, he's already starting to set up little bits of, here's how I'll make my power play. Here's how, you know, I'm playing these dual roles of, you know, Sith Lord and Senator. You know, so I've already, you know, that part is interesting. The fact that he's already insinuated himself into the government and is kind of starting to get a little bit more power. Um, but again, it's like that what the the emotional core of the movie is Anakin but that part just isn't interesting because he 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 totally miscast the character he completely didn't get the age right of the character no not that, at all that 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 kid should not have been like the same age as uh like Kevin in the first home alone yeah. He should have been more of, like, the same age as Natalie Portman. Well, especially because the Jedi keep mentioning how he's too old to begin Jedi training. So, with an older character, that would make a bit more sense. Because when we see the younglings in later films... They look the same age as he did. They look to be the same age as Anakin I in mean, the first movie. I mean, you could try to say that they were making an excuse because they just didn't want to train him. But that, that that doesn't buy... I don't buy that either. Again, I think that conceptually, I get why he said it here. But it's the same thing as you said with Attack of the Clones. It's the execution that kind of sinks it. Now, for me, why I put Attack, why I put Attack of the Clones right below Phantom Menace is because, frankly, Attack of the Clones is just too long. Oh, it's brutally overlong yeah i mean i know it's not the longest star wars movie but good god it some stuff here really could have been cut and what's funny is i told you about this i remember going to see attack of the clones in one of the times i saw it again on in the theater because sad sad to say at the time i really liked phantom mess i really liked attack of the clones Uh, i saw it in imax Months after it originally come out, he did Lucas did a special IMAX re-release, and he edited stuff out of it. I don't remember how long it was, but I do remember just certain things were gone from the movie, and it, it may, I don't know if it made it necessarily flow better. Um, but there is so there's that part of it. Uh, there's and you know what's funny is even in both these movies, there's still stuff I like here and there. Again, I mentioned I like Christopher Lee. He's always, you know, decent something. Even though it's goofy with Yoda and the lightsaber, I still enjoy that final lightsaber battle. That's shot and, you know, performed really well. For me, the stuff that I like in Phantom Menace just a little bit outweighs Attack of the Clones. I mean, maybe in like five years, if I rewatch these two, maybe my ranking would flip. Mm -hmm. I'm just going by how I feel right now and... And frankly, I don't hate Phantom Menace. I I feel like it fails at a lot, but there is still, as as one person would say, there is still good in it. <laughs> um, so the pod racing scene kicks ass for me, just on a level of pure filmmaking. Uh, the fact that there is no music for most of it, 
really gets you to focus in on the the sound editing and sound design from uh, Ben Burt, which was really <laughs> terrific. And uh, the whole final lightsaber battle uh, with the uh, three main characters is really intense and charged, and you could feel like all everybody is there ready to dig in. Yes. Like, that was the kind of thing that I'm sure that when they were shooting that, Uma McGregor and Liam Neeson, Ray Park, they were all like, oh, yeah. Oh, this is fun. Yeah, I was going to say, I love the final lightsaber fight, and as I told you, I appreciate the podcast because characters aren't talking. The podcast? The pod race. <laughs> <laughs> you enjoy the podcasts where they don't talk. <laughs> yeah. Characters are mercifully not speaking when the pod race is happening. Corey, you forgot about the radio announcer who's <laughs> talking about the race. All right, let's keep All this right. train moving. Yeah. It's not, I don't think we're blowing anyone's mind by saying the first two prequels are not good. I They're they're mediocre. I don't feel quite as negatively still about you do about them, but they are, they, they be, they are, they're thoroughly unimpressive and they're just disappointing considering that this was what, Lucas brought back to audiences after a such a long wait. Now, actually, now, our next three movies in our ranking are the same. We have yeah. the same eight, same seven, and same six. Yeah, so, so we might as well blow through those. I'm sorry if it's boring for the listeners that we don't have more different opinions, but... I know. We should, like, be more controversial. I should be, like, Rogue One is my number two movie. Oh, God. If, if Rogue One was my number two movie, would you still be married to me? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I think I... I think I have a slightly spicy number one, but... Yeah, when we get into the top five, that's where we'll... Where I get a little spicy, anyway. Uh, you you, know, you sure get spicy, um, but no, I don't know what that means. All right, no, we're, we're, all right Rogue, Rogue, Rogue number eight is Rogue One. This is a movie where I respect what this movie is in concept, and I I think this movie could have done interesting things. It's so boring. It's just so boring because the protagonist is a total void. Yeah, the the well, it's the protagonist is not that compelling. Uh, the the actress uh, Felicity Jones, yes. yeah, Felicity Jones is very one note. Her one main physical trait is quivering lip. And <laughs> am I wrong? Yeah, a yeah, total uh, absence of and, personality. And also the rest of the group with her. With the exception, maybe, of Donnie Yen, just because he's kind of doing his own thing. Uh, I just don't think the, the rest of the group around her is that interesting. Um, we rewatched this, actually, with the... Um, Red Letter Media did a, an audio commentary track for it. And thanks for getting and, us through, Red Letter Media. Yes, thank you, RLM. Uh, but one of the guys on it said that this movie should have been more like an Ocean's Eleven-type movie. If yes. they were, If they were going to go in the direction of... You know, a sort of caper to, you know, steal thing to get thing done. And the thing when you watch the Ocean's Eleven movies, you know, they're not, you know, the greatest art that you'll ever see. But they all they all have really fun, compelling characters. And I and I know that in this case, the the whole concept of you know group of uh, you know disparate. Uh, 
you know, people who are, you know, trying, you know, they're, they're kind of part of the rebellion or they're maybe in you know, their former prisoners or who knows what, you know, they, they're basically going on a suicide mission. Um, it's a death trap. It's a suicide rap. Got to get out while they can. Not, no, no, we're not going to, we're right. not going to bring Bruce in this. But even when you have this type of scenario where you know the characters aren't going to make it out, you could still give them personality. You could still make us care about them. And I feel like having them be so serious and, you know, very, uh, uh, very deterministic and, you know, in shades of different gray and beige yeah this entire uh, movie well, is mud and I, gray i almost feel like it would that's what but that's what audiences expect that's probably why a lot of audiences actually liked rogue one a lot because in a sense disney was giving the people what they thought they would want from a movie like this but someone with a little bit more creativity might have said oh hey what if i don't know we make this group of characters, you know, maybe a little bit more wisecracking and like, it doesn't need to be like guardians of the galaxy or something, but you could make them maybe misunderstand. Like they, they think that they're just doing, you know, something kind of cool, but then it's only near the end that they realize, Oh shit, we're not going to make it out of this. And how much better would have that, that made the conflict? Yeah. Cause the thing is, this is the attempt at a very like, gritty, dark, serious Star Wars, which I'm open to. But my thing is, I think there are fascinating ideas on the edges of this film. Like, one thing I thought the movie was going to explore was the idea that the Rebels themselves are not all pure and all good. And even if you're on the right side of a war, the very act of war can make even the quote-unquote right people do bad things. This was something I thought the movie was going to explore, but it's like a flavor of one or two scenes. Or when this first came out, I said to you, there are two minor supporting characters in this movie that seem really fascinating to me. Yeah. The incredibly boring protagonist's father, played by Mags Mikkelsen, who is the man who's forced to build the Death Star. Yeah. And he's the one that builds the fatal flaw. I'd watch a movie about him. Yeah, yeah, and he, he uh, Mads Mikkelsen, to his credit, brings enough to his character that you can that you can see that, that movie having that potential. Um, and I would even even say, I would even go as far as to say, uh, I thought Ben Mendelsohn was pretty interesting for what he was who was he plays the guy who's kind of overseeing the construction of the death star oh and forrest whitaker absolutely goes to town save the save the tree. in a little cameo and when i saw him <laughs> it was like a drink of water in the desert i was like Someone has a personality. Please don't leave me. Please don't leave me. So yeah, yeah, he's someone who really brings heft. He's not just kind of nameless guy who, you know, I guess has a name, but you know, kind of blends in with everybody else. You know, he he looks like he's seen some shit. Yeah, he does. Yeah, and imagine, yeah, imagine if we had gotten a movie about him but maybe that speaks to 
uh, you know, again, now I, a, a reason why I want to give this a little bit more of a pass than something like Solo is because I think Disney was still trying to work out what type of story they could tell with this. And again, this isn't, this is a standalone, you know, kind of movie. The, but the problem is, though, they also can't help themselves with fan service. So they still, you know, you could, why not just tell this story and do, and, you know, and serve what you need to tell it. Don't throw in like, oh, butt face, <laughs> you know, from yeah. the Moss Eisley Cantina, or we need to see C-3PO and R2 again. And, and, uh, you know, oh, and uh, let's not forget Darth Vader. Yeah. Oh, Christ. Oh, everything with Darth Vader. And... Actually, it's funny, though. The way you talk about Forrest Whitaker, I'm sorry to cut you off, but I feel like Darth Vader, ironically, brought some personality to this I movie. I felt the same way. There was a part of me that was, on the one hand, this is so gratuitous, but on the other hand, I was so desperate for anyone who was not insanely... I don't even remember the name of the Diego Luna character, and we watched this literally yesterday. Yeah, yeah, I, I don't either. I know one of the characters in the group is named Chirut. <laughs> That's the blind monk guy. Is it? I'm not... Was it? Was he Chirut, or was it, like, his friend? I don't know. These oh, characters God. are totally boring. I don't even remember the name of the robot. Who was Alan Tudyk in the movie? It was, like... K two S O. That's it. Okay. K two. Actually, he was okay. He was okay. I mean, he 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 did as well as he could have with that character. Um, which I guess was their way of bringing in. Oh, let's have. We can have a little bit of humor, tiny bit, but you know, it's not quite enough. Um, this movie should have been like those Planet of the Apes movies that actually do a really good job of pla Planet of the Apes. I said planet. I thought you said plan. No. Um, the plan. We have a plan now for these apes. No, no. I. Which that's do a, good a really point. good job of exploring the that, horrors of war. That is an excellent point. And yeah, you know something occurred. Yeah, like because War for the Planet of the Apes has kind of that serious tone that Rogue One does, but you feel a lot more for the characters. And part of that's because that's you know the third movie. Yeah. But but no, I absolutely get what you mean that they really take the time to develop those characters we're seeing this group of people in like the day the few days leading up to the events that then unfold in episode four and i'm sorry a you know if you're going to introduce all this stuff involving the rebellion uh you know the rebel forces being kind of split as to what to do about this death star I mean, I'm sorry. If you're going to have this unrest with a group, you should try to have a little bit more time in your story instead of it being like the last few days, because then that doesn't really jibe with what we see in New Hope. Yeah. So do you know how, let's say you're drinking a cup of soda or a cup of juice and you drink the entire cup of soda or cup of juice. And then afterwards you have a cup of water and there's a faint flavor of the soda or the juice left in the water glass. Yeah. This movie has the faint flavor of a movie that's not incredibly boring. Yeah. Kind of hovering around the edges. Now, what what almost did make this my number 7 instead of number 8 cuz I was thinking about how the movie does look very good, 
like I think that the movie has some clever direction at times, or at least it's very competent. Um, cause at least and following this up from solo is a good idea because at least this movie has some color and it has an interesting setting for its final battle. Like there are issues I have with that battle sequence, just in terms of the convoluted nature of how long it takes to get these plans. And, but I like that you have this grave final battle taking place in, you know, what looks like uh, the Caribbean. Yeah. But it's, it's, but it's still not enough to help it out. And, oh, and one last thing before we move on that I, we didn't talk about is the, the beginning of unnecessary CGI humans. Yeah. I don't want to see Grand Moff Tarkin in CGI form. I don't want to see young Princess Leia in CGI form. It's so ghoulish. Like, did they, did Disney, like, I wonder if they tested this. Like, I, cause I have to think, you know, a lot of movies, so many movies that have these gigantic budgets, you know, they get market tested. Did they show this to, you know, like a group of random people and ask them, like, do you think this looks good? And th- did they say yes and they based that decision on them? Like, who thought this was like, because it's one thing when you have Uncanny Valley and it's just Uncanny Valley characters. Yeah. You know, like a, like a Robert Zemeckis movie. But yeah. when you have real people interacting with, you know, fucking ghoul. Yeah. Uh, and, and we can expound on that actually in number seven when we get to that. Yeah. Um, so, I don't know. Should we move on? Do you have anything else to say about Rogue One? I was going to say, you considered moving this up to number seven. I actually considered moving this even further down on my list. Oh, moving Rogue One down. It's it's like watching paint dry. It No, that's the thing. Again, it's, it's such a shallow depiction of sacrifice. Yeah. That's what, it, that's what gets me, is that if you are going to really commit to telling the story... Just bring some real emotion to it. Don't just feign this idea of, oh, oh, such brave people. No. Like, get us to really invest in them. I get, as you said, make it like Caesar and the apes, where you really feel for those apes. I mean, they were able to do it with apes. Why can't you yeah. do it with these human characters? It should have been like that. Or like Ocean's Eleven, like the Red Letter Media. Those were the two paths before them, and they should have chosen one of them. And like I said, I think you could have made this more comedic, and that would have made it even more heartbreaking if all of a sudden near the end you realize, oh shit, oh, they're not going to make it. Oh, I really, I'm really going to miss these guys. Yeah, I don't... I don't really care when they go at the end because I haven't spent enough time with them. Like, except maybe for you know, Zatoichi guy, but you know, that's only because I he kind of does some cool fights. You want to move on to our next movie? Uh, well, I don't know if we have a lot to say that we didn't expound on in our regular review. So yeah, we will do this next one really quickly. Yeah, so number seven is Rise of Skywalker. Um, currently in theaters. Uh, talk about a movie I'm very mixed on. I'm very hot and cold on this. More cold. Um... It's it's a different in, in a way though it's funny because I think your number six is also Force Awakens correct correct so I don't know I feel like in a way seven and six are kind of joined at the hip in a way even though Force Awakens is certainly 
superior to Rise of Skywalker, they're kind of grouped by having the same director. For me, though, I think I like Force Awakens more than you do. No, no, I think, well, Force Awakens is a good movie. You say, like, you kind of put it in the very good quality category. Yeah, and I, for me, I I agree with the connection, especially because Rise of Skywalker plays more like a direct sequel to Force Awakens than a sequel to The Last Jedi. Yeah, I mean, I almost, to try to give the teeniest, tiniest, you know, little bit of, uh, what am I saying, the, the suspense, benefit of the doubt, that's what I'm trying to say, to give the tiniest bit of benefit of the doubt to J.J. Abrams, I think maybe he was thinking with Rise, he was trying to connect it more back to Force Awakens, mm. and if he was not continuing things with Last Jedi... Maybe on maybe con maybe on the surface he wasn't thinking oh I'm gonna fuck with Last Jedi, but he did, and that is an inescapable issue. Yeah, that he ultimately you know say you know he could have said well I don't know if I totally agree with some of these things that Ryan Johnson did, but you know what? As a storyteller, your job is to best serve a story. And he didn't best serve a story. He decided to, like, cave and throw in stuff that he thought would appease the fans. And the problem is, what fans he was appeasing are not really the mass majority of people. Now, I think for you, Star Wars movies kind of taper off, where, like... Obviously, the top of your list, best Star Wars movie. I think for you, there's like a gradual slope as the movies get worse and worse. But for me, um, there's a huge quality difference between number six and number seven on my list. No, no, no. I, I do think that there is. Again, I wouldn't say that I think Rise of Skywalker is a good movie. Um, I'm just saying that I can tell they're made by the same director. Yeah, and there are... There are things I like in Rise of Skywalker. Um, yeah, no, we and we said that too. And our, you know, things like, you know, what they did for Anthony Daniels was kind of fun. Although the more I think about it, I wonder if they ultimately kind of did C three PO disservice too. Well, Matt, um, I think it was Katanga who said this. Rise of Skywalker refuses to have stakes. From yeah, there are absolutely no stakes from scene to scene. Any potentially interesting thing is immediately wiped out. It's it has the it has the depth of being at an at an amusement park. Yeah, it's like someone I saw on Twitter compared it to watching a bunch of TikTok videos. And I know that there are a lot there there are some moviegoers out there, you know, people who are you know the ones who think that they're you know above or too good for Star Wars you know, type movies, and they would look at something, they would point to a movie like Rise of Skywalker and say, see, it's just a theme park ride. And, you know, for a lot of the, for a good lot of the other movies, it's not true. But with this, you strip away, as you said, the, uh, the stakes, and you're left with a movie that kind of bounces back and forth between stuff. It, it, it is completely indecisive about what it is really going for until it decides uh, unintentionally to try and pull another endgame. Yeah, so this movie has no stakes. 
The characterizations feel shallow, it's inconsistent, it's full of logical problems and logical gaps, things that are unearned and unexplained. And, and it, it, probably the worst thing is so mishandling and mis in such a misguided way uh the emperor yeah who is my is almost like my mpv eh, i eh, i i can't mv most valuable palpatine <laughs> <laughs> he's no you my favorite guy <laughs> i want you for me <laughs> Shut up, I'm doing a Palpatine. Now I sound like Klaus Kinski. Or yeah, something. he's like my MVP <laughs> of the series, and they did him dirty in this. Yeah, he's one of the great characters of this he of this entire series, and he it almost feels like a joke that he's in this. It it, it just it trying to think logically about how he makes sense in this story. I mean, I almost wonder if I'm still trying to be nice to the movie because of things in it that you know because of the performers who you know to be you know do carry a lot of weight but uh but they can only take you so far when writing is this sloppy yeah like it's almost like an example of what might have happened had the prequels been a little bit less dull and had better actors but still had you know, story issues. Yeah, like, I think this is a movie that's in shambles with good acting. The first two prequels are shambles with bad acting. Yeah, but at least, though, those move those shambles had ideas. And, you know, and some of them were good ideas, some of them were not. But this movie just has no ideas except to be a greatest hits collection. Yeah, that's a really good point thematically i have no idea where this movie's going right. besides checking off boxes oh is it time to go to force awakens when we can actually start saying nice things about star wars movies we can do that Corey. <laughs> i'm trying to do my harrison ford uh we're home so woohoo! we're in the star wars is good now for the rest of the podcast <laughs> yes one hour and one minute in let's keep going man uh, again this is our big star wars blowout episode so yeah thank you for still listening let's talk about good movie it's shiny happy people from here on in star wars is good again yes um and this was an example of you know hey star wars is good again you know in uh you know in, in, in just four years ago and i think the strongest thing about this movie is the first half would oh, you feel so, that way it's so good like i feel like do you think that over, like, consistently it's, like, really good? Or do you think that there's any point where it starts to kind of fall off a little bit and fall and be, become a little bit of a victim of familiarity? I feel that way a little bit in the middle of the movie. So I feel like this movie does a fantastic job of establishing the new characters. Mm -hmm. And within the first half hour of the movie... I care a lot about these new characters. So if maybe if JJ Abrams had made Rogue, Rogue One, he would have done a better job of making me care about the stiffs in that film. Ah, well, the problem is there's not enough mystery in that. But when I was watching Force Awakens, I was immediately like, I I really care about Finn. 
the character who was done most dirty by the new trilogy. Yeah, I care about Finn. I really I care about Ray. I'm really fascinated by this new masked uh, villain who throws temper tantrums and and yet you know is still kind of imposing. Yeah, and I know you're not a big fan of it. But I love the like lightsaber battle between Ray and Kylo Ren. No, I'm I'm not, I'm not saying I'm I dislike that battle. I do like it. Um, it is very kinetic and well, you know, well choreographed and all that. I think that just by that point in the movie, I was a little bit worn down by things that were happening, not quite right away, but. Once, Har- once Harrison Ford and Han Solo comes back into the movie, little by little, it's like Abrams can't really figure out anything more interesting to do than, than dip, dip back into the new hope pool. Yeah, and one thing that I agree with you, I think the movie goes a little fallow in the middle because one of the things um, to... To, to mention The Last Jedi, one of the things I really like about that movie is when it's following Luke, you really feel the passage of time. Whereas Han is a character that, permit me the comparison, seems like he's been frozen in carbonite since Return of the Jedi. Uh, yeah, he's been kind of, uh, he's been, he, he's been kind of goofball dad. Uh, now, I will say, though, and I know you don't really agree with me on this, but I said that Force Awakens is the only movie that makes me care about the relationship between Han and Leia, though. I, no, I like seeing them together. I think that they immediately, Ford and Fisher have, they still have that chemistry, and they do have now a different dynamic because they are you know, appearance of a villainous, you know, character. Um, I, I, no, I, what am I trying to say with this? I, but I don't really feel like they necessarily have a relationship. They are just like, they're, they're just kind of relating to each other as people who've known each other their whole, you know, well, for so long. I feel vindicated in my belief that their romance wasn't very persuasive in the original trilogy because they weren't um, together for life or anything in The Force Awakens. But I just... You, you but, okay. Maybe I didn't phrase that right. Uh, I, I still think that I like seeing them together in the movie. Don't get me wrong. I, but I just felt more of a spark between them in the original trilogy. I guess... It's a different level. It's not, you know, I'm not seeing them, you know, being like, oh, when, are we, am I interested in you? Am I interested in that? It's a difference between, like, two young dogs and two old dogs. Well, I just, I like Han and Leia a lot more as old people ruminating about a life together and i think both actors play um a lot of layers in all their interactions oh, oh it's abs- it is a good scene i i don't want don't get me wrong I'm, did i did i give the impression that i didn't like them no it's just that i um for me actually liking han and leia referencing their romantic past is kind of a novelty because in the entire original trilogy I like exactly one scene between them with romantic right. tension. Here's, you know, where my, 
my maybe my issue with it is it's I would have liked to have seen them a little bit more together. That makes sense. Because by the time, because they, we have like two scenes and then Han is dead. Yeah, I'd like to see more of it too. Like they kind of, like if Han hadn't been killed, which, you know, grand, it's, it's a daring and, you know, in, interesting, you know, story choice. It certainly sets Ky- Kylo down a path that, Certainly doesn't seem earned at the end by the end of Rise of Skywalker, but um, but imagine though if we'd had still had more time with uh, Han and Leia though. I agree with you that it would have been even better with more. Yeah, and like for you, the suggestion of it is enough. And it, while they were good scenes, and it was great seeing them together again. I, I just don't know if it was enough for me versus all the time that they have together in the original trilogy where you get to really see over three movies there them develop. Yeah. So I guess for me, this is number six on my list because it did a good job of getting me excited about the new characters. I wasn't bored or annoyed by the presence of the old characters except for Chewbacca who I always hate Uh, (laughs) and I thought the movie looked good and I said to you that the big debit for this movie the big drawback is it's a rehash Starkiller base Death Star uh, you know the the man in the the mask kills his uh, father figure, or literally this time his father. Uh, characters are, you know, they they ha- they take out the Star Killer base. Where J- you know where J.J. Abrams really could have made this more interesting. What if like maybe they like didn't they don't destroy Star Killer base, but they destroy the whole you know destroying planets element of it. Yeah. And then they leave open, oh my god, what if they get it built back up again? Because it is the third time that we have a Death Star in these movies. Too much Death Star. Too much, you know, uh, Death Star. We talked about that to death in the other movies. Um, so we should maybe move on now. Number five. Number five. Don't worry, we have we finally have different picks now okay. for number five. Number five for me is Revenge of the Sith. Um... I th- I actually think this is this is where now from five to one is where I get into either flawed masterpiece or just out and out great. I think Revenge of the Sith is um, certainly not without some flaws. Certainly not not without moments where I roll my eyes and groan at di- at certain dialogue parts and the and the moment near the end which we've been talking about for days we don't know why she's about to die she's lost the will to live so stupid yeah but this is this makes me this gives me the feeling of elevating you know b-movie serial to like grand opera you were so right when you called this movie operatic so, this movie is actually higher on my list than yours. Mm-hmm. This is number four for me and number yeah. five for you. So. Yeah, like, for, like to me, I, do, I, do, would I still say that, you know, there are moments where Hayden Christensen, his performance is certainly one that you can poke holes in. But I think that 
A, he's given so much more to play and uh, more conflict to try to sink his teeth into. And he just has the right look for this character. You know, whereas before playing, you know, romantic dope (laughs) is not, you know, his, in his, in his wheelhouse, he manages to pull the, the, what was basically the Faust story into, you know, something that's very compelling in particular playing off of Ian McDermott, who, (laughs) you know, is, gives probably my second favorite performance in a Star Wars movie in this, in this film. Yes. You know, even more than, uh, here's where I'm going to, you're going to kill me. I almost, I think I like McDermott as Palpatine in this movie more than Return of the Jedi. Even though Return of the Jedi is a better movie, I I feel like him in this story where he finally is enacting his plan and you literally are seeing him not transform as a character, but trans- you know, not transform, but he reveals himself. Yeah. It is such a astonishing reveal to behold. I think you're right. And the reason why this movie is able to survive Hayden Christensen's patchy acting is because it's really Palpatine's show. It is the Palpatine show, and it is amazing. Yeah, like, and also Lucas's writing for him is terrific, um, and even the direction is extremely well calibrated. Um, oh, I read an interesting piece of trivia, which I I knew this, but I forgot. Steven Spielberg actually directed a few parts of this movie. What part? Uncredited. I think, for example, the the opening shot uh-huh. where you're seeing like the the two ships and they go into battle. I think Spielberg supervised that. I think there were certain parts of the final lightsaber battle that were yeah. him. Uh, and that, and I suddenly remember now that in the behind the scenes documentary on the on the episode three DVD. It wasn't anywhere near the episode one documentary. Yeah. Um, uh, but there was this one moment I still remember where he's Lucas is looking at storyboards with some of his uh, team, and I think you hear him say, "Oh, oh, Stephen wouldn't like that." Like that. <laughs> <laughs> there, when we were watching this, when we were watching this movie together, there was right before like the Palpatine Yoda fight. You just said. This is Star Wars. Uh, oh, you mean when Yoda and Palpatine are fighting? Yeah. Or you mean just before that? Just before that. You yes. Said. Oh, that's so, yes, it's so Star Wars. Yes. In that moment where he, you know, the Luke and the, no, I said Luke, sorry. Anakin, Obi-Wan have their, you know, fight, you know, their confrontation before their start, their fight. And yeah, Yoda and Palpatine talk and then start, you know, getting into it. Oh, and I, I, I almost felt like, oh, it, it gave me such emotion seeing them fighting in that gigantic Senate hall. I know. And then when you finally see the final showdown between Obi-Wan and Hayden Christensen, which mm-hmm. I do think Christensen does a good job. And you and McGregor, of course, totally. Solid. Were you almost like tearing up when like the, uh, you know, you were the chosen one bit. Yes. Yes, uh, I was. Yeah. Like, it's... 
you know, it's amazing how much it Lucas struggled with these movies, and yet he was able to pull it off. He was able to pull it together near the end. And I would even tell people that if you need to, just you could skip the first two movies and just yeah. go to the third one. If you want to start off, the third one is the essential prequel film because it details it's it's just a great action movie about the downfall of of a character yeah now to me which which you don't usually get in blockbuster movies yeah you never see you usually don't see a movie that is about a complete system falling apart for me, this is a movie of low lows and high highs, because I think there are moments in Revenge of the Sith that are just as bad as anything in Phantom Menace and Corey, Attack of the Clones. Corey, hold me. <laughs> like you did on the Lake of Naboo. Well, I said to you, I think it's stupid that Padme spends literally the entire movie just hanging out on her balcony in her apartment. You know what it is? You know, I just thought of something. Not to the same extent. Lucas pulled a little bit of a Cersei. Yes. With and with uh, in season eight. That's now, now, exactly right. Now the now the difference is he now the difference is we never saw Padme be that interesting in the exactly. other movies. Now to Portman's credit, she is better here than yeah. in the other prequels too. So my thing is, I understand that again, she's not a great character, so it's not a horrible loss, but it did bother me that she is shown as pretty central to the political goings-on in the first two movies. And in the third movie, she seems to have no perspective on what's going on apart from Anakin. Now, obviously, her husband should be her first priority, but... She she is underwritten. That's why... That's the thing that I think is keeping this from being... A little bit lower on my list. Um, I, I almost wish that this movie was, with the exception of the Darth Plagueis scene, yeah, which is just great. Um, if this had been a silent film, mm -hmm. it might be my third favorite Star Wars movie. Well, the reason why I ranked this even higher than you, I ranked it at number four, is, as I said to you, when this movie is at its best, I really think it's Star Wars at its best best it, it definitely feels like this is what um you know luke you know th there's so it's so hard to try to live up to the expectations of an audience that you are you leave all of this room from the original trilogy over you know basically 20 years more or less for people to try to think about oh i wonder what you know things were like for anakin back you know in the you know, in the Clone War days or when, you know, in those early years that are hinted at, you know, and and granted, we could have lived in a world where maybe we just had those three movies and been fine. Of course, Hollywood being what it is, that yeah. wouldn't have been, you know, even if Lucas hadn't done it, I'm sure that we would have seen prequels at some point in some way. What makes Revenge of the Sith kind of magic is that you get pretty close to what you might have tried to envisage in what this happened. Now, when I was ranking my movies, I found these movies surprisingly easy to rank for the most part, despite the fact that I'm usually someone that struggles making lists. Yeah. The only thing I struggled with was where to rank 
A New Hope and Revenge of the Sith. So mm. I actually ranked A New Hope at number five and Revenge of the Sith at number four. Okay. Well, this works, though, because, well, actually, no, no, not not quite, because my number four well, is very different. I, just now, I don't know if we should we wait. Should we wait to talk about nine, my number four when we talk about your number, a number that's coming later? Well, here's what we'll do. I'm just going to say really quickly why I ranked Revenge of the Sith higher than A New Hope. So I'll okay. do, I'll knock out like my five and four. Okay. And then we'll go to your four. Okay. So <clears throat> this was the only thing on the ranking that I struggled with was whether I liked Revenge of the Sith more or A New Hope more. Because I feel like A New Hope is a very consistent very good movie, mm -hmm. and I don't think it has the lows that Revenge of the Sith does, Yeah, but I don't think it meets the highs. Uh, for me, see, New Hope is my number three, and to me, it's it's almost, it's kind of difficult to talk about this movie in a way because it's like talking about it's like talking about The Wizard of Oz. Mm. It's like a movie that is, it's almost set out of time, and Watching it again, I was just struck by how you really could just watch that movie. You could yeah. just watch Star Wars and not ever watch another Star Wars movie ever again. That movie tells the wor the story in the world of these characters pretty completely. Now, granted, you know, you end up figuring, finding that in the other two movies in the original trilogy, they do, you know, flesh out people a lot, the people a lot more. But in terms of an example of giving you, like, the, the basic archetypes of, you know, a hero's journey, it is, like, there's a reason why it's held as, like, the textbook definition of how to do it. Because it's so so dynamic, and also just the whole i and the main innovation of uh, C three PO and R two D two. Yeah, it's I, their movie. I for because before we sat down to do this, I hadn't watched any original trilogy movie in like fifteen years. I had forgotten how central they are to the action. Yeah, they 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 propel. The, the 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 story forward in, in a key way because they are you know they they manage to get out and you know connect with the hero and even though it's luke skywalker's journey to realize himself uh you know the the the, the robots are very active agents and and good god you know i don't know if are we gonna save to like maybe ranking characters after the movies or can we kind of I don't, have, touch on that. I don't have my character ranking ready. That's fine. But I'll just say that R2-D2 could be my just personal favorite character. I don't know if that's different than saying, like, the best or whatever favorite. that means. And I know he's not, you know, maybe the most in-depth character. He's surprisingly in-depth. <laughs> yeah, R2 is just, you know, he's such a charming character. But he also, I think, can be salty. Which I really love. He's supposed to be comic relief, and yet he's one of the most heroic characters throughout all the movies. And even just little things he does, like in Last Jedi, he you know he's pretty minor part in that. 
But even in there, he kind of reminds Luke in a moment about, oh, hey, remember this time you, you know, saw me show you this video of this woman asking for help? Yeah. You know, it's like he's always just there to, you know, try to push people to be better. And I really think that's a positive thing. And yet he also sometimes gets into trouble himself and... Uh, this movie also does a really good job of establishing character personalities quickly. The economy of character. I think this is why I love this movie so much and why I rank it so high is because of how quickly and yet so much personality is there in terms of knowing who these people are. And, you know, they are all archetypes. They're, you know, fresh-faced young guy, you know, old man, um, you know, the, 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 the charm, you know, the, 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 the sort of pirate, you know, side character, um, the, you know, the, the, the main villain who needs to be conquered, you know, it's, it's so much is there. And yet you, it's also just such a sh- sharp script. Um, I keep, uh, there's how tightly constructed this movie feels is because of how, characters relay information exposition doesn't get too bogged down ever um but you still get a really good sense of the world and how it works in the world and how it works but also just yeah like for example take for like that scene where um you're introduced to tarkin and you know he comes in with darth vader there's already a scene kind of going on this bickering about what to do with the death star and it goes on, but then Darth Vader tries to bring up the Force. And, you know, this guy's like, don't try to tempt me with this sauce with lays, Lord <laughs> Vader. And he keeps on doing a thing with his mouth, by the way. Have you ever noticed that? <laughs> yeah. This is now the ultimate power in the universe. His mouth kind of curls to the right. And, the weird... and then Darth Vader chokes him. Mm-hmm. You get a character moment in that scene that defines who Darth Vader is, that he... You know, it's not just taking out his enemies. He will take out his own people to do what he wants. I feel like A New Hope, to justify why it's not higher on my list, the very thing that I think makes it so enduring in our culture is why I take the tiniest fraction of points off. It's a little basic for me compared to movies higher on my list mm-hmm. oh sure no and that well that's why it also isn't higher on my list because it is basic but within that basic quality is just you can have a movie be basic and be still really good still great and so. and also i guess i'm also impressed by other stuff in the movie that maybe you're not so much i love the whole dog fight at the end i think that is just so incredibly engrossing and you you we watched the original version i happen to be able to ha- get a dvd copy of the original version and how that is edited for maximum impact and everything you're seeing is real on screen just how that was made you know that that to me is just so inspiring seeing how that was brought together and it was all by the way almost all disaster because like <laughs> They they had to completely edit the movie from scratch because they had some type of issue with editing the movie. Like they shot everything in England and brought back, and it just didn't work out. 
All right. Um, so, so then we need to move on. Though. Yeah. So I said my number five is A New Hope, and my number four is Revenge of the Sith. What's your number four? Oh, we're gonna get into this now. Well, here's the thing. We're not gonna discuss your number four at length because, right. like you say, mine. Your number four is higher on okay. my list. Okay. Well, my my number four is Return of the Jedi, um, and and yeah, Re- Return of the Jedi is great fun. Um, one thing I will say um, before we get into it a little bit later, when I was a lot younger, I I actually ranked Return of the Jedi a lot higher. I might have even had that above Empire mm-hmm. when I was around 12, 13, 14 years old. Because um, I think it really is especially striking for for someone who's young because it you know, shows the completion of, you know, uh, or at least for, for that moment, it was obviously not the case for, you know, as we saw later, uh, but for Luke's arc in that story to try to become a Jedi Knight. Um, and, you know, it's, it, it is such, it is a really just fun movie. Uh, it, 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 the balance between what is dark and light is what is so impressive in that movie. Yeah. It's like having a, it's like Star Wars is a cup of coffee. <laughs> you have like your dark ground up coffee that is, you know, kind of intense, but then you put, throw in your milk there and it goes. Ewok milk. Ewok milk. Oh so, God. Ewok milk's gotta be nasty. Let's just say, <coughs> I love this movie. Oh no no I I kind of love it too I I just have a couple more issues with it than than you do like to me it's a similar thing that you were saying with Revenge of the Sith what there are lows to this movie for me and the lows are they kind of show Lucas's weaknesses for the first time in the series like really str- more you know maybe the weaknesses were a little bit there in New Hope but not enough to to bring that down as much. Um, but I start to see some of the weak writing. I start to see certain characters get a little deserved, like Leia. Um, but when it is at its best, it is the best of what Star Wars can offer. We're going to pause on Return of the pause. Jedi and discuss it more yeah. when it shows up on my list. Okay, what's your number three? My number three is the empire strikes back okay um well and your number three is a new hope which you've already said yeah now my now what i've come to maybe think about here uh i, I almost wonder if i might be cheating a little bit uh, i can't believe i'm gonna say this i think my num i have a tied number one weak i uh, i am weak I am a weak man. Uh, well, no, I guess maybe not. I don't know. Because for me, Empire and Last Jedi are so close together that I want to say, you know, because my heart wants to say that Last Jedi is number two and Empire is number one. Mm. But I, I just don't know because Empire Strikes Back is is what, to me, everything synthesizes in Star Wars. Well, 
I would say there's another movie which is a better comprehensive representative of everything the Star Wars franchise can and should be. But we'll be getting oh, to that. Oh, God. Oh, man. I feel like Faster they're... and more intense. I'm <laughs> trying to get there faster and more intense. Let's talk about Empire for a moment. Yeah. Because we just talked about... I think this is a good way to try to talk about the original three movies. And we'll work in Last Jedi in there somewhere. Okay. So Empire is maybe your number one. Maybe. All right. Maybe. And it might be in a tie with The Last Jedi number two. Maybe. Okay. Well, <laughs> for me, The Empire Strikes Back, excellent movie. For me, it is a clear number three. And yeah. So, so watching it again, what were some things that you suddenly remembered? Like, oh, this is why this movie's so great. Well, I think one of the things that I like about it, um, is I obviously love the emotional punch of the final confrontation between Vader mm -hmm. and Luke. A moment that somehow has not lost its power, despite the million of times I've seen it referenced, memed, watched. It's so, I would say, the final climactic confrontation between Vader and and luke spectacular um i obviously i also love everything with luke and yoda on dagobah yoda is one of my favorite characters mm. i obvious i would say if there's the reason why this is not number one on my list is like i feel i feel like the kind of conventional wisdom is that empire is the best of the star wars movies the reason why this isn't number one on my list is actually, I think the Han, Leia, and, uh, not Lando, the Han and Leia plotline before they get to Lando in the, in Bespin, mm -hmm. a little, a little shaggy. Like, I actually aren't, I'm not really into the whole, they're in the creature on the ship. Oh, I respect it from a technical level. Like, I think it looks great, but you think that part is a little bit of a lull. I'm a little impatient for them to just get to the cloud city already. So for me, this movie, I love the opening in Hoth and I love seeing the AT ATs. Is that Imperial what walkers. I, yeah. I don't know. A oh no. ATSTs, I think are the ones in Jedi. Adats are the ones... Oh, God, I sound like such a nerd. Uh, so, <laughs> so, I like... I really like Han <clears throat> having to rescue Luke mm -hmm. and pack him in the Tauntaun. I really like that. But then, when I think about all the stuff that really works for me, the stuff with Yoda and Dagobah and the amazing final confrontation, it's all, like, at the end of the movie. I think the movie has a little bit of a lull in it where it's not there's a little bit of just testing my patience to get to the good stuff now i don't want to overstate this i still think this is an excellent movie basically my top three star wars movies are in another tier than my four through six where my four through six i think are like really good but not like excellent that's fair. I think you. By the time we get to Empire, we're in the excellent tier. Okay. But Empire to me is like the worst excellent movie. I know that sounds weird. 
Yeah, well, that's a similar thing to what I was saying about uh, Jedi and to an extent Revenge of the Sith. Like, when I say worst excellent, that means, like, as a way of saying that, um, you know, there are things that I want to nitpick about, but, like, I, I still recognize the major artistic vision going on. With Empire, why it moves me so much... And I, there was, I, I couldn't believe myself because I've seen this movie so many times, but when like Han was about to be uh, put in the, the, the carbonite, just that whole scene, I was actually kind of tearing up a bit. Yeah. And which is surprising me because I, I haven't teared up before watching this movie. It was just like, this movie to me is really about something. Which I, you know, and not every movie has to be about something necessarily, but to me, it sticks to that theme so compellingly, which is that it's about vulnerability. Yeah. Every character, so many of the characters, and, and just so like, so much of what is going on here is how uh, people become vulnerable and how that, you know, affects them and how, it, you know, it should be fu- okay to be vulnerable, but it becomes their downfall. And you see it happen with uh, Han and Leia. You see it happen, especially with Luke. Really happen with him. Um, you know, the, the the rebellion becomes vulnerable to the the Imperial Walkers. Um, I know that sounds like a strange thing to harp on, but to me, I feel like the the movie explores that theme very richly. And even the Millennium Falcon is completely vulnerable to faulting every other second it's like this movie is nothing but like i'm tripping over myself to try to catch up to where i should be and i just i i think that is just such a compelling message for you know adults but also for kids because everybody finds themselves in that kind of position in their lives. We want to see our heroes struggle and we want to see them struggle with both external and internal struggles. Yes. Um, And, uh, you know, and they, you know, the characters even struggle sometimes in, you know, like, you know, having like what might be a romantic moment. (laughs) <laughs> well, I said, sir, sir, I've isolated the reverse power flux company. Well, I said that generally I'm not a fan of the Han and Leia romance because uh, it feels very generic to me and mm. very something that they just toss in. See, to me, I normally I could say that, but oh god, I just love seeing Ford and, and Fisher together. But the scene where they have their first kiss, I must admit, I do really like. That's a big scene. I know. I do like that. How, like you, you're saying, like that you find that the kind of you want to get on with it, but that scene is like a major point. Well, my thing is, as you know, it's a very common trope in romance in romances mm-hmm. where people like bicker and insult each other, and that's how they communicate that yeah. they love each other. It must be a popular trope because it's very common. Oh no, no, I don't oh, really like it. Oh, don't get me wrong. I I think it is overdone. I, I almost I even would say that it, if somebody wanted to criticize that moment because Han is coming a little bit too hard on Talia, I could even see that. But it's executed so well. It's like the writing is just. It's like when you listen to a piece of music and it's just oh how does this work so well? I mean, 
you know, it's like when we listen to like Bruce music, he, he trades in cliches, but he's able to like thread the line in doing something. I don't really see that dynamic in their kiss scene. And I think their kiss scene is really hot and I really like it, but I don't really care about their relationship before that. And in return of the Jedi, I think their relationship is just very generic. It's this idea that there are three main characters and two of them are related, so they can't be in a romantic couple, so we'll throw Han and Leia together. Yeah. Um, to me, why this feels like the ultimate Star Wars, and I know, that, as you were saying, it is a conventional opinion to say that. Nothing I recognize wrong with that. that. No, but I, but it's just, it did, but it did make a really big impact on, on my life seeing a movie like this and knowing that you can make a very big movie but make it extremely intimate in mm-hmm. in feeling you know it's what makes this movie work is not you know obviously the 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 the, the battles are and, and the action is you know very is very exciting but uh and good god the anim- the animation at times is like oh wow oh <laughs> gives me chills but it's just about the, when characters are having conversations with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what Lucas got wrong in the prequels. Yeah. When he had people talking, it wasn't interesting. Um, when you know, or when you watch Solo or Rogue One, not interesting. This movie, always interesting, always. And you know, when I think of Star Wars, I think of. Uh, you know, characters who are really, you know, doing their their bestest to, you know, stay above the elements. Uh, but again, it's trying to fight a, a gigantic empire is not, you know, going to be always easy. And so that's why I, I love that movie so much. All right. So Empire is my number three. You're number one. Let's talk for a few minutes about our communal number two, or maybe you have like a one A and a one B. Almost, maybe, because uh oh man, we're gonna get in some hot water for this one, aren't we? I don't care. Fuck you, Fayers. Uh Last Jedi rocks. Yeah, we both really love Last Jedi. Now, listener Gabe asked us to make a talk <laughs> a little bit. Is that his new nickname now, Listener Gabe? About like the, like your wifely duties, Corey. He's <laughs> Listener Gabe. About the kind of culture around this movie, and this movie is something that seems to inspire really strong opinions. And I agreed with the idea and concept, but the reason why, sorry, Listener Gabe, that we're not really going to do that is because I feel like. If I'm talking to someone like one on one who doesn't like the movie, I'm fine engaging with them at a like a deeper mm-hmm. level. Or if I'm li- if I'm like reading an article from a critic who didn't like the movie, I'm fine engaging with them. Yeah. But frankly, there are lots of different reasons why someone would like or not like a movie, and I don't want to presume a kind of uniform motive or intention behind the backlash to this movie. I find it depressing because I love this movie and I'm really sad at the idea that I maybe wouldn't get other Star Wars movies like this. Like, well, that really bums me well, out. Well, I think that it's a thing to, to say is that if Last Jedi has shown me anything, it's that 
a lot of people should just get off of the internet. <laughs> they shouldn't pay attention to what the masses say online because it's like there, there's this line in the movie Men in Black. Um, mm. A person is smart. People are dumb, ignorant, cruel animals. Yeah. And by that, I mean when you get lots of groups of people. That's one thing. When you're talking with one person one-on-one -on -one, and you can have like a conversation and find out if as long as they're a rational person, maybe they might have reasons they don't like a thing and you can try to engage with that person and maybe, you know, like, okay, I, I kind of understand you. Um, yeah. I but, but with last Jedi, it's just, it, it's the, the, the entire culture of the internet. It's like at, at its worst. Yeah. Now I have, I have read enough criticism of the movie to see some commonalities in the criticism but frankly i feel like i don't want to get down into that because i think there's a lot of very different reasons why people maybe not maybe don't like this movie uh, yeah but well the thing is it's one thing if for example you just have a a personal preference about not finding you know something that funny or maybe you think something drags in the story that you know that, that's okay like if you say like the the canto bite stuff didn't work for you like I you know it. i i do get it I, that's fine you know i that's a, that's a sequence that i really love and i think clicks and you know the every you know the, the 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 characters get some excellent moments and you know it's a fun little diversion in the midst of this very dark section of the movie involving what's going on with Ray and Luke. Um, but when you get into things like, uh, you know, this, what they did with Luke, this is not, you know, he would never do that. You know, it's, I almost look at it in a weird way. Like when, uh, back in the sixties, when people would say about Bob Dylan, how would he do that? You know, he went electric man. He would, he, ne he should never do that. Bob only plays acoustic. Should do that. How do you know? Yeah. You know, that's my attitude. Hey man, like this is the story we're telling. I mean, if you really, really think that that's a problem, I mean, I don't know what to do for you. I mean, I, I think that, there are some people who just have had such a fixed idea of what this character should be in their minds that they weren't open to anything else except that Luke is still Mr. Badass legend. And how dare Ryan Johnson maybe question that someone who has lived that life for a generation is kind of sick of it legitimately. I mean, Luke has seen some shit. Luke has gone through the the kinds of adversity that would break people. So I'm I have literally never cared about Luke more than in this movie. It, this is and also more to the point, Mark Hamill, it's my favorite performance in in Star Wars. Yeah, like It's it's the it's such rich acting. Yeah, we both agree that like Mark Hamill should have won an Oscar for this. We think it's by far the best material he's ever yeah, had. To play all, all due respect, Sam Rockwell. This was this was Mark Hamill's nomination. And Oscar. what I love about it is, I love how com I love how complex the performance is, 
And I love how it shows us that heroism is difficult, that heroism is not just, you know, gee whiz, it's fun to fly on a TIE fighter. It is pain. It is suffering. It is It is not shallow sacrifice like in Rogue One. No, no, exactly. He... He he, tr- like he took on, uh, you know, his nephew, you know, to try to train him as Jedi, and it, you know, it he he failed on multiple levels, and, and, and it's like a kind of failure that literally crushes his spirit and makes him not want to connect with the Force. That is real conflict. That's what I don't know. That's what I like to get out of of movies. Yeah, and I think both the way The Last Jedi uses the character of Luke as a way to examine, um, how, just, oh, I'm gonna start crying just even thinking about it. Oh, don't. But I just, I love this performance so much, and I think that- And he also just gets to have fun in little bits, too. Like, his scene with Yoda, I feel like- I've got, I see like a hundred different emotions in just that one scene and his interactions with him, you know, it's like, cause it's kind of, it's kind of funny when he's like, those are the Jedi texts. Read them, have you? Well, I did. And it's like, it's funny in that moment. And then all of a sudden he, it's tragic because he talks about how weak he's felt and Yoda then brings him back up. And it's like an inspiring scene. And it's then, like that scene by itself is Star Wars. And then it makes the final conclusion like beautiful. Oh, it's so beautiful. Yeah, it's like that to me like what the what the quote unquote oh we want badass Luke Skywalker. You get that. Yeah. You get like a hero totally coming into his own and managing to kind of redefine you know what a jedi can do i yeah i'm literally like crying a little bit just thinking about how how like moving this plot line is i would say the luke and ray stuff is definitely my favorite part of the movie yeah i also think too i also really like what they do between uh kylo and ray yeah i I think Daisy Ridley and Adam Driver have spectacular chemistry, not romantic chemistry. No, no, but that's but that's what makes it fascinating is that you know that they uh, well, if well, putting aside what they what ends up happening in Rise, um just looking at this story, it's like okay, hmm what is is he really is he trying to turn her to the dark side or is it just these two people are making a connection and it kind of goes almost beyond good and evil for a a minute and that is also a nice challenge to the idea of you know the lines that are drawn because you know kylo is also you know maybe a little conflicted about the fact he killed his father yeah i like Kylo and Rey have one of my favorite relationships in, like, Star Wars. And doesn't look too bad without a shirt. (laughs) (laughs) A little bit obvious. That's, like, that might be, like, a little nitpick. It's just, like, it's so 
weird how he just appears without a shirt and then they tr- she tries to make a joke like can you put on a cowl or something yeah. like that's a little bit of a tonal weirdness well, um I, i'm here to say both my number two movie the last jedi and my number one movie which if you haven't figured it out by now the one movie i haven't mentioned yet my number do you mean the holiday special <laughs> My number one Star Wars movie, Return of the Jedi. What I love about both of them, yeah. and in fairness, this could potentially be a problem for an audience member for both of them, is I think both The Last Jedi and Return of the Jedi run the full spectrum of like Star Wars emotions, where I think Last Jedi... Mm-hmm has some of the goofiest comedy in, like, the entire Star Wars canon. Oh, yeah, well, the the Porgs. But I also feel like Last Jedi has some of the most, like, complex, dark, and sophisticated material. And for me, I mentioned that I almost like, like, tonal whiplash in Star Wars because I tend to... My favorite Star Wars things tend to be the really cutesy stuff, Mm. like... I absolutely fucking love Ewoks. I love Ewoks so much. The Ewoks are some of my favorite some of my favorite things that have ever happened in the entire Star Wars universe. I uh, love poor I love Porgs. I love Ewoks. I love Babu Frick in Rise of the Skywalker. I love Baby Yoda. I love I love BB-8. So I love like the cutest parts of the Star Wars universe and I love seeing like cute little creatures, even if they're totally disconnected from the plot. But I also am happiest when Star Wars is really plumbing the depths of, like, the Palpatine-Vader relationship, the Kylo Ren-Rey relationship. So my kind of top two Star Wars movies are the movies where Star Wars is both, like, at its goofiest and at its darkest in the same movie. Yeah, um... One other thing I should mention with that I do like that I kind of love with Return of the Jedi is that it does have some really fantastic puppet work. Yeah. Um, the, the stop the stop motion that they do with like the rancor. Like I was reminded watching that scene again, like that sequence, it you can tell like Lucas has a lot of love for uh. like Ray Harryhausen type movies. Uh. And I really enjoyed seeing that now that I've you know, because when I watched Return of Jedi as a, as a kid, I hadn't seen a lot of those movies. But now that I've seen a number of those flicks, that love for those particular kind of movies really shown through mm-hmm. a little bit more. Um, like, see, for me, it. Uh, I don't want to hurt your feelings if I talk about it's why okay. I have problems with Return of the Jedi. I, can handle it. I just. It, I. I think that it's not that the potential that what gets set up at the end of Empire isn't completely realized. Because clearly, everything with Luke and the Emperor is. And as, as even though I have fun watching the Ewoks, I can't help but when I watch them think, like, it is a little too cutesy, of, uh, ultimately. Like, some of the characters, like, obviously, Warwick Davis as Wicked is just wonderful. And when he first meets Leia, that's just a, you know, such an adorable little scene. But having a whole battle with them, it it really does put it a little bit more into feeling like a like a kids movie version of this material than being. And that tonal whiplash doesn't 
quite work for me completely. It's still it's still a lot of fun. Yeah. But it is something where I watch it and I'm like, I might have grown out of this a little bit. Just a little bit. It's okay. Like I, I have, I am becoming a very cold old man. <laughs> like, uh, but no, but everything, but again, but what you, but the, the dark stuff is still really good. It's still like excellent. I would say the Ewoks, though, the triumph of the Ewoks over the Empire is such a hopeful and inspirational message. Just like. How we both really loved the message of The Last Jedi that anyone can access the Force and you don't need to have dynastic blood. Oh, no, no. I, I do get the message that even, like, little teddy bears can be heroes. Yeah. I, I do get that. It's just... It's it's just a li- it's just a touch like a little bit much. It's okay. I'm a child, so. <laughs> but I th- well, also just honestly, you know what I think is a little bit that the way that you were talking before about um like in Empire how when they're on the Falcon and they're inside the uh the the, the creature mm. how it starts to drag a little bit. Not when the Ewoks are first, you know, kind of bringing in uh, Luke and Han, and mm. like the whole C three PO as a god concept is introduced. That kind of dragged a little bit for me this time around. Like mm. watching that, I kind of was like, I want to get to Luke and Darth Vader. See, I had just an endless appetite for more Ewok information. I'm like, tell me more about their society. Tell me more about their but, cannibalism. But, you know, but I don't really get to know about their society. I know that they're like native cannibals. Like, I feel like they they start, they have that whole thing with C-3PO as a god, but then they don't really do anything else with it. It's basically just a joke. I know, but it 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 left me wanting more, and it was funny no no it, it is amusing no it's fun seeing like when r2 gets freed and he just like shocks the ewok that's I, kind of that's i think kind of for me too you were joking about how i really like a bunch of star wars movies but i don't really like space battles which is kind of a weird thing yeah but i love that there is space battle action in return of the jedi but i love that so much of the action is set on endor or set in the Emperor's throne room. So there's less people flying around on ships and more cool chases through lots of trees. Oh, no, and- no, no. Oh, that that is a fantastic uh, chase. Uh, that, that whole sequence when you're seeing uh, Luke and Leia and the, stor- and the storm troop and the forest troopers, whatever you call them. Um, even though watching it, it's like, I know, lo- I know watching it, okay, I can tell that they're using uh you know kind of technology that we wouldn't see today it's still very visually dynamic and you could feel the speed and the energy of uh the acting and the and the editing there um uh and but going back to something that i kind of hinted at before um when i talked about how i think leia is a bit underserved and even to an extent han i know you said you don't really care because han is fine as a supporting goof yeah but um but for me i really i think that the 
Leia gets basically like one real scene where she gets to actually sit down, have a conversation with another person where it isn't just her kind of doing action or, you know, interacting with an Ewok. And I think that that scene where Luke tells her that, you know, they're brother and sister. It does fall kind of flat. You were totally right. And she doesn't perform it very well. No, I think that another director could have done that better. Um, a lot of people joke about how David Lynch almost directed this movie. And, you know, I honestly, I am glad he didn't. I don't think he would have fit with the material. It's, it is amazing though, like reading the behind the scenes that he was, he and the actual director, Richard Marquand were the final two choices. Um, but I actually think about how Steven Spielberg had directed it because he was close to making it too. The only, literally the only thing that kept him from not making it was like the director's guild. There was some shit that happened with Lucas and the guild. It's a long story. I'm not going to get into it. I feel like if Spielberg had been behind this movie, it would be my favorite, but that's, but again, that's a little bit of potential that I feel like isn't quite there in the writing. And, and we don't really get another scene in where, like Leia gets to kind of talk with Han about like, Oh, you know, all that, you know, that those emotions that we felt before, all we get is like kind of like a quick kiss and Jabba's palace. And then at the end, she reveals to Han that Luke's brother, like they, I feel like their relationship actually is a little bit underserved in this movie where I think it was kind of teed up in Empire, and it could have paid off a little better in this movie. Well, maybe that's one of the reasons I never got into their relationship, because my favorite Star Wars movie doesn't give them much to do. Maybe that's one of but, the reasons what, why I never got into their relationship. But but that what I'm saying is that the movie could have done that and made it more complete. And it's like, maybe Richard Marquand didn't care about that, and you know, you know, bully for you. Uh, <laughs> but, but for me, I really liked how that was set up in the, in the second movie. It almost felt like something out of, uh, like a seventies movie where like, uh, you have bickering characters who are, but you know, those crazy kids are just, you know, going to fall in love. Like almost, it, I like that shaggy quality in empire. It feels almost like out of a Robert Altman movie or something where it's very, <laughs> improvisatory between them and you can and like i i, I and they, they did kind of improvise a lot of stuff even i know you know it was improvised um but i should also but again what really does what they needed to get right was luke and vader and, palpatine. and palpatine. like that's like the love triangle <laughs> that does work yes yes let the love flow through you uh, that, that shit is, oh, that, I love that stuff. And so especially good. that moment when Luke freaks out and actually does attack Vader and, you know, the music, John Williams score rises like that is, that is like as good as anything in Empire. And the emotional states feel really high and it's very, it's, it's at the most operatic in that moment too. Yeah. So I, I think I said this earlier in the podcast, but there, if I could summarize in one sentence why Return of the Jedi is my favorite Star Wars film, it's because literally anything I could want out of a Star Wars movie is in Return of the Jedi. It could give me literally 
when I look at what attracts me to this franchise, there is a shining example of literally every single thing I like in any Star Wars movie in Return of the Jedi. You said that, in a way, isn't the entire Jabba the Hutt heist filler. And, you know, you're not wrong, but I absolutely love it. So give me a side quest to a badass gangster with lots of cool <laughs> alien puppets. No, I, I still enjoy it. I just, I think back to how maybe as a as a kid i was even more open to that just because i loved muppets so much but now as like an adult i i kind of want to just get to the like the stuff with the emperor and it's mm. like i and i know it's like i know where this is going and you oh oh here we go oh wait a second i know that laugh you're all behind that curtain what that like, was ridiculous. I, that Jabba I, let them defrost Han. Like, yeah! Like, why wouldn't you stop her first? Like, and then, you know what? Like, you know what would have been actually more interesting if all of a sudden Luke shows up and he just, like, with a flick of the wrist, like, defrosts Han right there? <laughs> that would have been kind of fun. Um, so... Uh, um, I also have to take off a point for Chewie's haircut. I don't like that shit. <laughs> But right. I totally love the Jabba side quest, and when I think about, I I love super super cutesiness. So give me that sweet Ewok action. And it's, this is a movie that gives you, you know, cute and heroic Ewoks and Vader's death scene, which yeah. I know you've said has brought you to tears many multiple times. times. I cried multiple times during the end of this movie. So I love. I actually love how it's structured, where I actually feel like a Return of the Jedi has almost kind of like an episodic structure. Yeah, well, that's almost what I... But I, that's what I like about it. To me, that's a strength and a weakness. And I think The Last Jedi has an episodic structure as well. Mm, I think I, I think a, a Last Jedi is actually a little bit closer to Empire. Well, I when I... I love Last it's not exactly now. I don't mean to say that like Ryan Johnson yeah. was just completely aping yeah. Empire. I think he did enough of his own thing to separate it from what Empire. Did. I do think the Last Jedi is a touch convoluted at times, mm. just very minorly. It is my number two Star Wars movie, so I do love it. And my thing, I said to you about the Canto Bright stuff. <laughs> When I was watching it in the moment before I saw Rise of the Skywalker, I liked it because I was like, I like seeing this planet because it's a jump off for kind of world building and larger political and social commentary, which I appreciate. It's reaffirming Finn's commitment to mm -hmm. the rebellion. It's introducing a new character. It looks great. However... I feel like since Rise of the Skywalker is totally disconnected from anything in the Canto Bright Bite. section. Yeah, I keep saying. It's all right. I think of Canto Bright and I just think of like, is that, that must be something from like, I just think of Rainbow Bright. <laughs> I do feel like that part of The Last Jedi is now kind of a vestigial limb just because Rise of the Skywalker 
is so uninterested mm. in anything Ryan Johnson had to say. See, I don't see to me, I don't really care because I could still watch Last Jedi as its own movie and love that stuff. And no matter, you know, whatever JJ Abrams did is not going to change that for me. But, but I, I mean, I get what you're saying too. But um, when I, when I watched it before I saw, um, rise of the skywalker i thought it was awesome and i what i said to you is i legitimately struggle to understand how people can hate this movie i understand how people could talk about last jedi i understand how people could like have nitpicks about it have flaws say like this isn't my favorite but to me, some of the most common flaws and nitpicks I hear about The Last Jedi are things that are present to an even see, greater extent in literally every other Star Wars film. I, I, I could see you being down on it if you were already really down on Force Awakens. Like, if you just don't like any of the new trilogy at all. And I've heard the argument that, again, that the, 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 new, the new series needed to have a stronger overall vision and that's that's a fair point but at the same time i i by by think that if if you are someone who really loves force awakens and hates last jedi i mean first of all i'd love to know why and sec but secondly what what do you think that the force awakens did that last jedi doesn't do like what is that so yeah, when I've when I've read critiques of the movie, I can understand someone who just isn't into Star Wars and thus hates The Last Jedi. And I can understand that like if The Last Jedi, if you're ranking the Star Wars movies, I understand a person putting it like five or six instead of two like us. But I will confess, even having read good faith critiques of the movie, not like trollishness like i i don't waste my time reading like neck beards on the internet well also you have to remember that i mean this movie got very positive reviews well that's the other thing i don't think that disney understood that the people who don't like last jedi it seems to be a very passionate hatred and it's an intense hatred but i feel like it's deep but narrow hmm and 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 grant you know and also frankly you know there was a lot of there were there were a lot of like bots like literally from like russia that were pushing like last jedi hate it was like the same fucking people that were making crap up about hillary clinton yeah so i must confess having engaged with some good faith critiques in the movie i still struggle to understand how you could be a fan of lots of other Star Wars product and hate this Star Wars product. Yeah, that that's that's the thing I, I can't really quite wrap my head around. Like, if you're someone that really loved loved Rogue One and hate Last Jedi, like because that that's that's like the type of person that I I would kind of question about. And I grant you know, and I have seen people like you know. Even people I kind of am acquaintances with, for example, on certain social media. And I don't mean like neck beard, random neck beard, yeah. you know, with like 
the tw- the kind of Twitter handle that has a bunch of numbers at the <laughs> end, so you know to block that person uh, or even report them. No, I mean like people I vaguely have maybe known or yeah. or even worked with who really are, do go after Last Jedi and have legitimate con- beefs with it. Um, that I I can almost get, but um, but I'm almost I'm almost exhausted by it. Uh, I, I almost wonder, frankly. Had the internet been around when the Empire Strikes Back came out, would we have maybe seen a similar reaction? I, I agree with that totally, because you remember we were watching Empire Strikes Back. One of the most common critiques of The Last Jedi is that Finn, Poe, and Rey aren't together in the movie. And when I was watching Empire Strikes Back, I turned to you and I said, Luke, Han, and Leia are not together for oh. this movie. That I really just don't understand that type of criticism. If you are getting the characters that you like in this movie and they're being delivered to you well, why do you have to see them together? It's also, you know, it's like in the Guardians of the Galaxy 2. Like they split up the characters in that, and I don't think that you lose anything by having them apart. For me, if I didn't like the new people that the core three were interacting with, it would be a problem. But yeah. frankly, <clears throat> I enjoyed watching Ray with Luke and Kylo more than with Finn and Poe. I enjoyed watching Poe navigate, you know, his relationship with Holdo and Leia. Yes. Yeah. Hold. Yeah, exactly. I, I really, I, yeah, I really enjoyed that stuff with Poe and, and Holdo and Leia. And also I think that one of the things that, that, Johnson was really trying to grow and challenge. And maybe this is what mm. I hate to use this word, but I I can't think of another word to replace it with. Maybe what triggered some of these people is that oh wow, you have more strong women who are maybe telling some men characters try not to act this way. Be a little better. Like we don't think you're doing all wrong, but please rethink yourself because that's what you know, Holdo does with Poe. That's what um, uh, Rose does with Finn. Uh, even to a little extent, you could say that's what Ray does with Luke. Maybe that's why, because you had like this sprightly young woman who's trying to tell Luke, like, get, you know, pick yourself up, be a better man. And a lot of men don't like that. They, they want to be like super masculine buff man meat. You know, and, yeah. you know, and in the other, you know, in the other Star Wars movies, you didn't really have that. You had a little bit more passive female characters. Even Leia in the original trilogy was a little yeah. bit more of a passive character. That's why I had that. I was bringing up that with Return of the Jedi. Now, frankly, I <clears throat> never even really engaged with that type of critique of The Last Jedi because. Oh, it might not even be yeah. completely conscious. It might be yeah. subconscious. But it comes out in other ways. But I found the discourse around this movie gross and frustrating and depressing. And the fact yeah. that it reached the <laughs> level of like social media harassment of the people involved and the fact that, I mean, we were pretty harsh on some of the movies we talked about at the beginning of this podcast. But this idea to go from I really don't like this movie. 
you don't see me banging on Jake Lloyd's door and saying like, oh. "Man, you were really bad in that movie 20 years well, ago." Unfortunately, there were some there were some people who did that. Well, yeah, there are people that did that with the prequels. I have to say like I find Poor the Ahmed best. I find the larger like discourse around the last Jedi pretty depressing when I go into social media. If I'm just reading film reviews, the Last Jedi was ecstatically well reviewed by it was professional ex- film critics. Yeah, it was exactly well reviewed. Audiences liked it. It made fucking uh, like one point three billion. You know how like Ryan Johnson should you know consult. You know if he ever feels sad, he should tell himself, "Hey, there are only like how many movies on the planet that have you know made like that much money." And to me. Rise of the Skywalker feels so calculatedly noisy and dumb in response to that vocal hatred of The Last Jedi, and that really depresses me, too, because we have The Last Jedi, and no one can take that movie away from us, but what I'm worried about is we'll never get another movie like that now. Uh, well, I wouldn't say never. I mean, you, I, I can't predict what will happen again with Star Wars. I mean, you know, I couldn't have predicted that we would have gotten these three movies, you know, back when we when we had the prequels. I, I thought we were done with six. Yeah. But, you know, it was, fate would have it. Now, I mean, the real question going forward is, you know, can we start? can we start with a completely new group of characters? If we really try if if the if disney and lucasfilm really made an effort to go back in time and or i say back in time but if they took a completely different time period don't make it this like 60 year cycle or whatever it is from you know little anakin to um ray skywalker quote unquote like could we have all new characters and still make Star Wars. And yeah. that's what worries me because, you know, these side quill movies, so to speak, you know, they can't help but be, you know, what, what quote unquote is called fan service. Uh, the Mandalorian, I think, is trying to at least do something a little bit simpler. Yeah. And, um, you know, and it, it's been, you know, a little bit hit and miss, but it has been interesting to see them try a little bit different to strip it down to be a little bit more basic in a different way. Um, I, I also suggested to you, and you like this idea, if they maybe do stick more to, like, t- uh, streaming or television and maybe make, like, a Black Mirror-type Star Wars show. I feel like, creatively... The future of Star Wars is television. I feel like, and I know this sounds weird because I liked The Force Awakens and I loved The Last Jedi. The the past movies, as much as we like and revere them, they are a straitjacket strangling the life out of future Star Wars. Yeah, well, it's well. There's also that you know comment from uh, uh, Rich Evans on Redler Media that the dirty little secret of Star Wars it's very small and very limited and you know and there's there's a lot there's some truth to that in the sense that there's only so much you can do with space fantasy that um 
that is aimed at family audiences uh, where you don't really show blood. You know, maybe if you're creative enough, you can show some horror elements or something like that. Um, but yeah, I'm- but like how do you, you know, do you expand it in a different way? You know, I mean, maybe TV is the direction in the same way that, you know, Star Trek, you know, they had all the movies, but then they also had different series that explored what what you could do there. Yeah, I really think TV is the way forward. I want, I want like five different Star Wars series, and I want them totally disconnected from what we've seen before. I don't want characters from prior... You, you need to earn the... You can have fan service, but it needs to be earned. You, you can't just... You, you, you don't just throw me, uh, like fucking Darth Maul at the end of your movie because, oh, hey, I know what that is. So I clap. Like, you don't make your audience into seals. I am not like a guy that goes like, <laughs> well, I am, but for me, fan, for me, little, little seal court. <laughs> fan service. That is no deeper than, hey, remember this? Hey, remember this? Yeah, you you can't keep doing that. And that was a big problem with Rise of Skywalker. Like, you know, remember this? Huh? Remember Lando? Huh? You know, I hate to to say this because it's kind of mean. You could have taken Lando out of Rise of Skywalker and you would have lost nothing. Nothing. Nothing at all. I mean... It's nice to see Billy Dee Williams. It's nice to see an actor who's actually alive in the movie. Yeah, so he's, at least he's not creepy CGI on Canny Valley. But, but again, you need if you are really going to continue this, you know, whole cycle, you got to do something different with it. And it sucks because now that Star Wars is owned by a major corporation, it's not just from one you know, mind you, you know, we are going to keep getting star Wars through the next decade. And I'm just, I just wonder what that will be. And we should, we've been talking for a very long time, but I want to wrap up by saying it kind of bums me out that the MCU seems much better in terms of like giant soulless corporate properties at turning out movies that are mostly good and actually allowing for more tonal variation. Like, do you think a Disney movie, like a Disney Star Wars movie could even be as bold as like Thor Ragnarok? Which isn't even as good a movie as it is, isn't, you know, totally shattering any paradigms or anything. Oh, no, no. There is still familiarity there. It's just... You got to allow idiosyncrasies in your vision. I mean, that was one thing I'll give Lucas credit for. The fact that he even considered David Lynch for a movie is just incredible. That he wanted to hire the guy that made Eraserhead yeah. to, to make a movie that speaks volumes. Like, who will be the next like crazy director hired for a Star Wars movie and left to do? stuff that makes sense for that. Well, the other thing that's been alarming about Disney Star Wars is a very high level of behind the scenes drama and tumult and Yeah, I mean, I don't know if that mean like 
if changing the the president of the company will make it different if uh if it will be uh something else that needs to be shaken up i mean it's just now we're in this age of content and it's just a little depressing i, I don't know i think maybe what will happen is that now that star wars maybe Star Wars just needs to become less special if you're going to continue it this way, you know, cause with Marvel, you know, some movies are more special than others. I mean, this past year Endgame was such a, you know, terrific mm-hmm. success, but you know, Captain Marvel wasn't anything to sneeze at, you know, yeah. Spider-Man, the second Spider-Man was a bit of a mixed bag. Um, so I think the MCU is probably the best case scenario for the Star Wars. Well, wasn't it? I know we should wrap this up, but didn't somebody other podcast say that maybe Star Wars could be more like the DC films? Uh, well, uh, well, I hope not. Let's but... let's see if we'll get a Star Wars Batman v Superman. I mean, I I really want Star Wars to move to television. Save Batman. <laughs> I really want. I think your Star Trek example is. I don't. I don't feel yeah. the need to see a Star Wars movie in the theater for like another decade. Yeah. I want Star Wars television, and I really hope they move in that direction. But if they don't, so, I feel like the best we can hope for is like MCU. The, the best we can hope for is a Baby Yoda series. <laughs> Baby Yoda teams up with the Ewoks. Yes, you get maximum cuteness, like. It's like cute, pure, uncut heroin cuteness. I in would your veins. die. I would die. <laughs> you would just be like, like almost like in like a William S. Burroughs scene, but except <laughs> instead of like the needle in your arm, you're just in a ball of cute. <laughs> All oh right. my lord! All right, I think we should wrap it up there, guys. Um, thank if you. If so anyone much. ever actually made it to the end of the podcast. <laughs> this is almost as long as a Star Wars Congratulations. movie. Congratulations. Yeah. I no. don't think anyone is ever going to make it to the end of this. <laughs> oh, don't say that. I even think listener Gabe will have given up on us by now. Oh, stop. You you don't know how podcasts are, you know, <laughs> like how far people go. Uh, but thank you so much for listening this long. If you have any thoughts we always have our email wage of sim at gmail uh you can always leave a comment on facebook or twitter um let us know if you have a particular ranking that you want to share uh maybe next time we'll we'll read it or we might share it on our social media feed uh but thank you again this is probably the last time i'll ever talk about star wars on a podcast yeah i think we've I'm done of, i think we've done it i i have finished I've I've finished. Do, 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 do. All right. So from everybody, thank you so much for listening. Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. Happy Kwanzaa. Happy Life Day. Always happy Life Day. Happy Life Day, everyone. And Stir uh, Whipster Whipster Whipster. <laughs> yes, the wages of cinema is Stir Whipster Whipster. Whip, 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 ah! All right. Good night.